The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. of the business podcast episode number five i am your co-host jp john pause from the two-man power trip of wrestling and i am joined by the other co-host mr trump mania himself lavi margolin lavi how you doing today sir uh personally i'm doing well but um you know we're recording um in light of the very sad news the death of of brody lee um and um indirectly um there's actually a tie-in to to our work, and I'm not sure if we'd be doing this exact podcast if not for Brody Lee. Um, so Chris Harrington, uh, many know him as Mookie Ghana on uh, Twitter, who is now a vice president at AEW. Um, he, of course, comes from the WrestleNomics podcast, which really sparked my interest in the business side of things. So his first co-host before Brandon Thurston was actually Brody Lee under a uh, assumed name. I always wanted to go back and listen to those. So now I'm going to go and make the effort to do so. But one thing really rolled into the next. And without, um, you know, without that uh, podcast, I'm not sure if uh, we'd be doing this exact podcast today. That is interesting. That is something that I didn't even realize, you know, thinking back and looking into it, like didn't realize that Brody Lee was a part of the original show with, Mookie, kind of the the pre WrestleNomics before Brandon, didn't even know that. That's such an interesting history. I guess from their Rochester, New York days, they were buddies. Yeah, and um, uh, I figured you know they connected later. But uh, Mookie is sharing all these pictures of sort of growing up together, and it's it's amazing to see Brody Lee sort of like be like first this. I mean, he's always the tallest guy in the frame. So, um, but uh, you see him grow from. A skinny guy, you know, one of the boys to obviously, you know, the star that he was, unfortunately, before his uh, untimely passing. Of course, this episode will be dedicated to the memory of Brody Lee and just such a shame and condolences go out to his friends and family. Just such a shame. He's so young, only 41, and it came down with that long illness. And I know they said it was non-COVID related, but you just never know what the heck is going on out there, especially someone in that good of shape and just, you know, just a monster of a man can kind of just quickly pass away from something. It's just 2020 is scary and just a terrible, terrible year all the way around. Yeah. And, um, I mean, there, unfortunately, there was no happy ending. But, um, you know, when we hear of someone 41, you know, dying suddenly, A, we weren't aware of, of that he had been ill, it seems like, for a while. But, um, you know, it was a little bit comforting to know that he had received the best care at the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota. I, I have no idea, but I'm assuming that Mayo Mookie was, was around to, to help 
as that's his home state, um, but also to to know that he was uh, surrounded by by family and, and loved ones when he passed, and it wasn't a um, you know a, a darker thing like like we've heard of, of of wrestlers untimely passings before. And one thing that I noticed was. It really seemed to unite the Twitter or online community for quite a while. You know, there was an article here or there that seemed to be a little bit uh, too soon to start speculating on things and so on. But for the most part, really, people that disagree on many things, they came together and and grief, but also love and uh, respect. Yeah, it's such a shame. And obviously, you know, he was in the prime of his career just was the TNT champion in AEW. Then we really haven't seen him since basically the beginning of October. wasn't really on. I know he was on BTE for for an episode after that, but you know we hadn't seen him for a while, so it was kind of very mysterious. And it looks like if the report from Fightful.com was that they were everyone from AEW was told to keep it a secret. And man, they they keep stuff under wraps over there, which is a good thing. Because in wrestling, you know, spoilers and all those other things leak out. But apparently, you know, through the family, they wanted everything to be kept private. And you know, there was no spoilers or nothing was released, and really kind of just mysterious about what happened. Yeah, and uh, I guess people looking back, the only clue was that one of his sons, Brody Lee Jr. Um, they had a skit, you know, when the cameras weren't rolling that, you know, obviously didn't count it, but he became the AEW champion. So something kind of giving him a, a little bit of a, a bright side um, when when these difficult things uh, were happening. And, you know, being a dad, you know, that really affected me. There had been a great WWE 10 minute feature on him and um, and his children and his family. So, you know, it really goes beyond the wrestling business, even though he was certainly one of my favorites, especially, um, you know, when he was um, linked up with WWE and, you know, all of the different six man matches that occurred. And it seemed like that was taped for Brody Sr., which is just really, really just a great thing by those guys to do that so that they could see that and kind of just send that to him. I guess they knew he wasn't in good health and maybe that was going to lift his spirit. So I thought that was a really kind of well done thing by Omega and Khan and all those guys at AEW for sure. Yeah. And, um, you know, even with WWE, when somebody leaves the company, especially to go to direct competition, you know, the person is forgotten about. But suddenly, like Stephanie McMahon, Vince McMahon, the company, WWN Fox, everyone was acknowledging this um, untimely passing and, and really uh, showing what, what he really meant to the business. And, you know, it was it was very emotional. Um, you know, anytime we hear something tragic, uh, you know, it's sad to hear. But I would say for myself, it really affected me you know, as much as, you know, the Owen Hart tragedy or, you know, something like that. Yeah, we haven't seen a wrestler in his prime pass away in a while. And I know there's a, a slew of them, obviously, for various different reasons. But, you know, Chris Benoit, Eddie Guerrero, Owen Hart. I mean, you, we kind of got used to it a little bit. And for a while, it was more hearing too much about it. And then this popped up. It's like, oh, man, it's just a, it's a gut punch for sure. It's one of those things. It's just, man, like they're in their prime. They, they're so healthy. They're so great. They're, you know, they seem so vibrant. And then, you know, you find out the news about this. So very, very sad all the way around. Yes. Um, Brody Lee and your family and friends, we're thinking of you today. So today's episode, WB and AEW are so social. 
While the ratings may disappoint at times, Nielsen brings a lot of good news for pro wrestling and quote-unquote social engagement. Who really owns Impact? Investor money to date in streaming platforms, digital networks, ATSC 3.0, and why that matters for pro wrestling. Save the music and save wrestling venues. Finally, pontificating on the outlook for a variety of promotions post-pandemic. I know there's a lot of different categories. I just went over there, but Lobby first, I just want to kind of mention something that kind of sparked some controversy a little bit, and it sparked a lot of questions, was when you did the Best of Social 2020 via Nielsen, you had posted it on Twitter. Can you kind of just explain that? Because so many people are like, what does this mean? You know, what? Like, I know you didn't mean to confuse, <laughs> confuse the message, but they were either angry or confused or saying, there's no way AEW is better than NXT. Why is NXT ranked higher than them? So what does this mean, this social, you know, top ad supported cable series but it's really kind of a social thing it's kind of the interactions per episode what does this all mean right so nielsen when we think of like nielsen ratings of course it's total viewership and we've talked about the demos and that's a popular thing to talk about now but nielsen is is beginning to look at things in in other ways too um one of the things that they've been monitoring is uh, social interaction. So it could be on Facebook, Twitter, you know, maybe Instagram. I'm not sure all the platforms that they look at, but um, they came out with a list this year and they came out with one last year. It was a little bit different, which we'll talk about. But the top 10 list, um, Monday Night Raw is number two, NXT is number three, all Elite Wrestling, Dynamite is number seven, and Total Bellas is number eight. So wrestling is way over overrepresented in interactivity. Um, I don't watch WWE as much anymore, but I remember when I did watch um, that they were always sort of like talking about what was trending or suggesting hashtags and that sort of thing to get things moving online. And that investment in time and effort seems to really pay off for them. So for number one was The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan series, which had far and away the most social interactions. I would see so much on my feed, um, 4.1 million interactions per episode. Um, Monday Night Raw gets 2.156. NXT gets 790,000. All Elite, 439,000. And Total Bells, 339,000. The most interesting thing to me of this is that All Elite usually outranks NXT in the ratings, but it gets a little bit more than half of the interactions as opposed to nxt so maybe nxt pushes a little bit more the the social component or maybe wwe fans are, are more used to interacting in that way so what does that mean though the interactions and and the being quote and quote unquote <laughs> being social what does that mean like to the layman to like to say somebody maybe that's like wait what does that mean the way that i think about it is when you're promoting it to an advertiser is engaged viewers. Um, you know, so many times today we have the, or at least we do in my house, we have the TV on, we're playing on our phone. There's something else going on at the same time. So here you could go to an advertiser and you could say, not only do we do this rating, but we have so many um, people that are talking about it. So it builds buzz for your network. They're obviously watching what's going on. They'll be watching the commercials, you know, in theory. And, uh, you know, maybe that translates to more advertising sales. I don't know if this is included in ad pitches or that raises rates, but the fact that Nielsen is monitoring it means something. 
the interesting thing to me is you're right. Like, is the NXT being above them? Is that because it's really WWE's platform? It's not really quote unquote NXT. Yeah, I think it's sort of like they're they for so many years they've been so good at getting people to talk about Raw, for example. That you know when people are watching NXT, it's sort of they'll interact with it too. So um, it kind of corresponds with the ratings um, because uh, the Raw. Um, interactions are a little bit less than three times NXT, which is kind of like the ratings, uh, depending week to week. So also interestingly, last year, they didn't break it down in such a sophisticated way, meaning that they sort of put everything together, ad-supported, non-ad-supported cable, broadcast. So WWE did really well in that as well. So they had... um, at least three programs ranked. So Monday Night Raw in 2019 had um, 1.9 million interactions. So that's obviously down corresponding with the ratings. Friday Night SmackDown had 1.65 interactions. And then when SmackDown was on USA Network, um, that had 1.14 million interactions. So they've been doing well in these type of lists for a while, no matter how you rank them. And, of course, the last dance, which was on ESPN, which is the Michael Jordan Chicago Bulls thing, destroyed everybody in this category by more than double. Yeah, that was, like, a very buzzworthy show. Everyone uh, found that really fascinating. Do you think this might stick in the AEW fans' crawl just a little bit? Because, you know, they usually win on on stuff like this. This is usually kind of like their bread and butter, and they're not beating NXT here. I think it depends how it's um, promoted. I think once WWE, I mean, I'd be surprised if they're not aware of it, but it seems like something that they would really want to promote. They love the, uh, we were trending, you know, top of, of Twitter and that sort of thing. So once it gets to the right levels, um, I think that they'll really push it and it'd be interesting to see how AEW fans interact with it. Sometimes WWE fans, even they get tired of, of that sort of uh, promotion. I think that a lot of people might have got confused because it's his top ad-supported cable TV series, but it's really not about that. It's really about the social engagement. This is the best of social, quote-unquote, the best of social. So it, it's a little bit different in that aspect. I just think it's funny. You know, Total Bellas kind of gets thrown in there. Obviously, it's a WWE vehicle and stuff like that, but that gets thrown in there too, and like that's doing okay. So it's one of those things where wrestling fans, they love to interact. I mean, that's one of the things that they may do. Maybe not spending as much money or maybe not buying the, the programs as much and watching it as much, but they do have possibly more chatter than than a lot of other shows. I mean, The Walking Dead, you would say, is way more popular, but less people are talking about it. It's a weird thing, wrestling. Yeah, and it might even be like, you know, lapsed fans that are following it on Twitter that are engaging and not even watching the program. Like, for me, if I... I'm reading about something interesting happening. I might comment on it, but I'll only go to the show if it sounds, um, you know, really engaging. That is the thing too, because I got like a few buddies of mine. They don't even watch anymore, but they'll be on Twitter, like talking about it, or they'll like see it in passing, but they'll keep talking about it. So I don't. Know, I guess once it's in the bloodstream, you you just can't stop yourself, even if you're not really watching it. You can't stop yourself from saying, "Hey, uh, you know, uh, the fiend. Oh, this guy is lame," or you know, something where they're talking about the show. It's it's such an interesting thing with wrestling fans. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, people want to talk about it, no matter if you're watching it or uh, or not. 
What do you think about, let's just say, you're getting so much interaction on social media, but not a lot of people are, are watching. What do you kind of, what do you think that, like, what, like, what, is, what is kind of the equation or how does that equate? Because doesn't that seem kind of weird? Like you'd be talking about it, but you're not actually watching it. It's just, I don't know, to me, it seems crazy. Mm, I think it's just something where you had a passion for it and are just sort of disappointed in the product that you kind of want to reflect back on a time that you enjoyed, but it's not there anymore. Um, you know, sports fans, if you grew up in the city and you're a big fan or, or something like that, it'd probably take a while to break you away from the team. But if, you know, you didn't like the new ownership and the, the direction it was going was so disappointing, you might be nostalgic about the Knicks in the 70s or the Knicks in the 90s. But right now you're you're following it from afar and you're commenting on it, hoping that, um, you know, they'll be better, but you're not necessarily watching all 82 regular season games. So let's go to the next topic here. Who owns Impact? Who owns Anthem? Northern Pacific Group? Who the heck is that? Who owns what? And really, is Anthem owning Impact or not? So, like, I was playing around on Crunchbase, uh, which is sort of like, it looks at... Um, uh, who's investing in what, from which companies, who owns what, who are the major officers, and um, you know, plugging in all the different wrestling companies and related. And one of the things that I came across was that it was acquired, I think before they actually purchased Impact by Northern Pacific Group. So to me, that totally changes um, the narrative because I would think about it like um, the Asper family from Canada, you know, they've been known as the owners of Anthem. And I figured like, you know, the interest in buying access or funding impact was sort of like on a whim, like, hey, you know, we're a wealthy family, we have money. So <laughs> I want to own a TV station so I could put impact on it. But that was actually the, uh, the wrong narrative or the wrong speculation. Because um, yes, Asper um, is the CEO of Anthem and obviously makes a lot of the decisions, but he has to report to who owns impact, uh, who owns Anthem, Northern Pacific Group. So Northern Pacific Group is a financial company that targets double digit revenue growth and acquisition growth with businesses that have revenue between 10 and 100 million dollars. NPG provides proven companies with the capital necessary to execute on organic and acquisition expansion opportunities, as well as providing liquidity to existing owners. So basically, they find companies. They don't have a very big portfolio. They only have about eight or nine companies in their portfolio, and they're looking for them to grow. They give them money to continue to operate and to acquire things when it seems strategic. So, you know, if you're looking at the history of impact, you might think like, well, what are these guys thinking? You know, uh, I don't see a light at the end of the tunnel necessarily, but we don't know everything behind the scenes. But um, if you look at the recent news about this company, they actually sold um, a gaming company called Pipeworks for a hundred million dollars. So, you know, so they, they have a plan. Um, something else to keep in mind with an investment company like this, they're not looking to hold on to companies forever. What you do is you sort of jazz them up, you get them on the right road um, uh, for a few years, and then you look to sell them. So, you know, we might see some changes in Anthem and, and Impact, you know, within the next few years. 
That's so interesting. So does Anthem or, or does this company who owns like the fight network or, or and access TV and all these other properties who technically owns them? Right. So those are under the Anthem umbrella, which is a company, but it's just that company is under the ownership of Northern Pacific group. So everything that falls under the Anthem umbrella falls under the broader umbrella of Northern Pacific group. So what does this kind of mean for just, let's say, impact programming? Let's say this Pacific group jazzes them up and sells them to some someplace else. Does this mean that everything that they own is in jeopardy of either um, being you know, liquidated? Or does that mean that any of these companies and maybe even these networks have a possibility of going away? Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's very strategic. They're a bottom line company. That's how they operate. So it's not like, like, like I mentioned, like Asper family thinking about, oh, I enjoy this or not. Eventually, you know, it, it has to, the rubber meets the road, right? It, it has to come to a point of profitability or, um, you know, if it's not profitable, staving off the losses enough that it appeals to another buyer. So whether you're gussing it up for um, WWE or, you know, another company, then you know, you just want to get things in line and, and do the best you can with it. At the same time, when you have access to this type of capital, let's say that there was the right players on the market. Um, let's say like um, in a couple of years, I don't know what their contracts are, but let's say like Jericho and Omega, right? They're obviously have some ties to Anthem's ownership and, and friendliness there. Maybe Northern Pacific Group would say, hey, look look what happened with Impact and who were their two stars, um, Omega and uh, Jericho, arguably. So maybe we should make a bid for them next. To me, it's like one of those things is there's it's always influx with Impact. It seemed like that for a while. It just seemed like who owns them, where are they going, what's going to happen. And it very well, without really a lot of people noticing, it could kind of happen again. Yeah, I think I don't, I never noticed anyone else talking about it. Like there were clues out there. I mean, obviously this was public, but there were clues out there in different press releases. Like nice to talk about the board members of Anthem and you'll see people from Northern Pacific Group on there and, and some of the other companies in their portfolio. So I think this is a, a deeper bit of research than most people do when sort of like the big wheel keeps turning in, in pro wrestling and you're following the next story. I think something that's, that's on my mind is what is crunch base? I never even like heard of it, looked at it. Is that something that is easily known by a lot of people in the industry? So what's crunch base? So it's sort of like um, investor information, um, like um, a lot of companies, which, which we'll talk about with the stream platforms, you don't like find right money and then like you're good to go, whether you're profitable or not, you go through several rounds of investments, right? Like for anyone that's watching Shark Tank, they might say, you know, at, at what level are we coming in? Was there um, an angel investor? What um, percentage do you own? So there's uh, there's a paywall. Um, I don't pay for Crunchbase, but sort of like even in the um, free information, it's interesting and helpful to learn more about businesses. So if you're kind of going through Crunchbase and you're looking at another uh, a bunch of stuff, Flow Sports pops up, and I know you wrote this on Twitter. You had you were kind of talking about how they raised so much money in funding. Tell us a little bit about Flow Sports, Fight TV, and how much money they've raised. 
Sure. So um, Flow um, has raised to date $7.4 million um, in different rounds. So um, what's interesting about them is that there's two investors um, that really stand out. One is WWE, um, and they are noted as a lead investor. Um, and then there's Fertitta Capital. So um, oh, yeah. Lorenzo Fertitta's company. Um, so yep. he's still busy with his own thing. Um, so he invested some money as well. And WWE has been involved in two rounds of investment. So it's it's an interesting thing to note, like, you know, is this just sort of like to bring more revenue to the company? Is there any knowledge being gained by being so intimately involved with Flow Sports that further informs WWE Network? Maybe like if WWE was going to sell sort of the network to somebody else, maybe Flow. Um, there was, of course, the Flow Slam um, kind of disaster. <laughs> um, and it doesn't seem to be sort of what Flow does. So Flow does really well um, with niche sports. So like more niche than, than pro wrestling. It's sort of like um, Ivy League, you know, I'm making this up, but like let's say Ivy League rowing. So if you were an Ivy League rower or you, you had a family member that was or, you know, you're passionate about Yale, uh, maybe you would be willing to pay X amount of dollars a year to have access to all of Yale's rowing. So it's it's a great idea of sort of like finding things that wouldn't work on like a scaled, you know, a mass platform. Um, like instead of doing bad ratings on ESPN, the Ocho, here you have people that are willing to pay directly to subscribe to a sport that's um, that's meaningful to them. And it seems like generally outside of something like Flow Slam that um, that they're doing fairly well. So is that like very profitable? Like why would WB be putting money into why are the Fertitas of all people putting money into it? Is it a profitable thing? Is it something that they have something that these other companies don't have? Do they have some sort of product that is better than other products? Right. So it's hard to tell profitability um, because they're still raising money. So either you're raising money to cover losses or for expansion. Like, you know, a company when it's mature, unless they're, doing something totally new or outside of their area, like sort of like they should be bringing in profit and sort of like funding it themselves or maybe getting a loan that they don't have to give away a percentage of future profits or something like that. Here you're sort of like giving away like guarantees, either it's percentages of your company or like of future revenue. So wealthy investors, whether there's institutions or people, they're betting that, um, that you'll be doing better than you are today or that you'll be able to grow to a certain point that they can have a return on their investment. So rather than doing it publicly through um, the stock exchanges, here you're doing it privately with companies that haven't gone public. For a lot of the companies, their exit strategy is eventually to go public. And that's how um, some of these investors really get a great payoff. So with 
WB, they have WB Network. To me, it's just like, what, what would they need? Why would they invest? Is it something that they think maybe WB Network isn't where it could be or where it isn't where it should be? Is that why they would invest in something like that? They Or they think they have better technology? What's kind of the like another reason WB might want to really invest with, with a company like that? Right. Firstly, it might have, you know, whoever controls these portfolios for WWE and these investments, they could be looking at it as a pure, like, profitability or risk versus reward scenario it might just be a coincidence that there sort of exist in some of the same spaces so it might just be purely that but otherwise it's interesting to sort of like if they are tied in more to sort of gain more knowledge of a similar business like um I don't know how much information they have access to, but if you're able to track like retention rates of subscribers, um, you know, how do promotions do, um, different price points, uh, watchability engagement. So like to have for WWE Network to have something to compare to um, their metrics versus somewhere else, if they are able to, that, that seems like something that would be really helpful. WWE seems to be kind of, I don't know, it's one of those things where it's like they're so big, do they really need these smaller companies? You think that by investing in the smaller company, it's good for them long term? Or is it something that they really just want to keep their eye on these smaller companies and maybe they think they're just going to gobble them up? I think it's just different. Like if it was like IWTV, then you say like you're in the same exact space and sort of like, why are they doing this? Like, is it, you know, how tied in is it going to be? Which I think there would be some positives and negatives for that. Or, you know, we can talk about fight in a moment. But I think flow is different enough that um, it's sort of, it's diversifying, even though you have some similar business units. You know, just, just I know we didn't plan, plan on talking about it, but IWTV, what was going on with them and, and Game Changer? Do they own Game Changer's library? Is that what happened when, when they kind of signed over that agreement and Game Changer's trying to kind of get it back from them? I was trying to figure out what the heck was going on. So as I understood it from Game Changer, I don't, I don't think IWTV has commented on it at all, um, that Game Changer feels that there's nothing or is, is saying that there's nothing in the contract that says that they own the master tape. So whoever is recording these and, and streaming these, maybe it's through um, IWTV uh, equipment. So they're upset that they don't have access to these um, tapes because, you know, if you look at GCW now, they're sort of branching out more. I don't know if they're doing it more than they had been before, but, you know, their last couple of shows or their upcoming shows will be on Fight. Um, they just stream something on YouTube. So they're sort of exploring their options, which is a smart thing to do, but it's also like a little bit awkward because they're the most buzzworthy company and IWTV has really grown hand in hand with them. So to be fighting this out publicly, you know, it just, it doesn't look great. Yeah. It's just one of the things that I kind of caught my attention. Like that is interesting. I bet IWTV in the contract, they might own the, <laughs> the actual masters, which would be absolutely crushing for game changer. If that's true. I mean, I mean, that would be disastrous. Hopefully uh, they've got good lawyers over there. Hopefully they can figure that out. 
yeah, it'd be a shame for IWTV as well to sort of like let this end so negatively. They they tend to have a lot of positive buzz. I think back when they were powerbombed, there was something with one of their early employees who disagreed with the way they were handling something. And, you know, that was a little bit public, but they sort of went away from that. And they're really um, a quiet success story. I'm really curious, like, is it all bootstrapped? Um, like, you know, hey, you know, you're bringing these companies, you're not taking the risk because you're all sharing in the profits, or is there like bigger investors behind the scenes? So that's something I've been nosy about for a while, but I haven't gotten too far in learning. Digit Nets and what it means for pro wrestling. What is a Digit Net research and what does it mean for pro wrestling? I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's kind of the question. Right. So, this is something that I've been um, nerding out about for a while. So interestingly, ATSC 3.0, um, they're just rolling out now as sort of uh, in test markets. It's actually something owned by Sinclair or par- or at least partly developed by Sinclair, but it's becoming a, a national standard. So for delivering digital content, ATSC 3.0 like makes delivering that you know, much easier in sort of more unique ways. Um, so for example, like they could deliver um, targeted ads to radio or stream to um, like your car, like your car's radio, that sort of thing. But in terms of television, um, uh, I don't know if you notice or like with the satellite dish, right? Like, let's say like NBC4. So there's like, if you're looking at a, on a satellite dish or on um you know, domestic, like you have 4.1, which is NBC, and there might be like 4.2, MeTV, 4.3, you know, um, Comet or whatever it may be. So there it had been uh, more uh, restricted, the bandwidth. So let's say each channel could only hold four other channels. ATSC 3.0 actually compresses that, and there'll be a lot more bandwidth for more channels. So with things like this, these sort of technologies, pro wrestling tends to um, do well there. You know, um, Sinclair certainly has invested a lot of time and resources into it, if not in the programming and in terms of the technology. So like with a stadium, a comet, uh, you know, those sort of things where they they put Ring of Honor on. But um, there's other smaller digital networks um, you know, around the country where they air local wrestling programming. So I think this could be something that benefits the expansion of wrestling, at least on a smaller level. But digital networks are relatively, you know, um, low rated so far. They've, they've been growing a lot. So Nielsen, when they look at the top eight, they actually aggregate for the whole day and give you all eight networks. So for a certain time period, not long ago, it was 1.72 million viewers across all the networks for the whole day, right? So like if you break that down, it's pretty small, but it's it's something that's sort of like a little bit of a foothold and it's growing. And as people move away more from cable TV and there's all these other channels that you could supplement with your streaming, then that's something to look at. So um, one of the things that I found was that Comet TV, sometimes they've aired Ring of Honor. I don't think they're, they are right now. Sinclair sort of bumps the, the show around a little bit, but they averaged 77,000 viewers last year. So Comet TV, it's funny. It's like 
I always think like, do I have any of these <laughs> channels? Um, I know on my Comcast here in New Jersey, but I always think like, do I have it? Do they, I mean, it says their reach is so big, but like, you know, we have one of the biggest cable systems in the world. And it's like, I don't know if I have Comet or if, if that even reaches me, but 77,000 viewers on average doesn't seem like that great. Right. So it's interesting because some of these digital networks have set up deals with, um, with cable companies like, like a MeTV um or a laugh channel and, and so on cozy tv um, who shows reruns but the way that you would know that you'd have it would be you would need like um you know a satellite tuner um rabbit ears type thing i don't i don't know what you call it in a modern day but then it scans and then it tells you what's like what's out there in the air so like what what's floating out there so for people that are like cutting their cable cords there'll be you have to get this tuner or there'll be the in it'll be in a lot of the new tvs so like people that want local programming you'll have that but you might get some of these channels and then you're supplementing that with your prime or your netflix so save the music venues which and then in turn would save wrestling what is going on here especially with amy i guess it's cloudbacker and uh her Senate run, I guess, and John Curran as well. So what is this kind of Save Our, Sage, Save Our Stages Act that, that they've got going on? Yes. Yeah, so I think I only know how to pronounce her name well from like Saturday Night Live or something. So Amy Klubachar. Um, there you go. There you go. <laughs> so it was in Rolling Stone, as as were you. So <laughs> we have a good connection. Mm-hmm. Good yep. connection there. Um, so... Um, she actually created, you know, if somebody said save like hardcore wrestling, <laughs> they would like hang up the phone really fast in the Senate or whatever, or be like, can we regulate it more or something? But, um, but when you say save the music, you know, it sounds much better. So as we know, venues are, are usually multi-purpose and they'll book, they might have some preferences of who they're booking, but they'll book whoever will pay the fee most of the time. So there was, um, obviously when you can't run live events, these venues are, are in trouble. So they came up, they came up with a bill that actually infuses um, $15 billion into the venues as uh, stimulus money to sort of keep them going and, and keep the lights on. So I think that indirectly is, is very beneficial for, um, professional wrestling so that you might have some of the, the swanky or um, smaller concert halls or clubs that might have had to close that host some of the higher profile independent wrestling. Now they'll most likely be open. So this is going to be really like $10 billion to venue owners, promoters, other music business professionals for the rent, utilities, mortgages, PPE, other things like that. And you're saying kind of then in turn, it would actually help pro wrestling because a lot of them run these venues. I mean, that's basically the bottom line. Yeah, that's the way that I sort of see it. Like anyone that runs live events, anything that happens in the live events business and and um, supports that, you know, in turn, um you know, benefits pro wrestling live events. So are they going to do it or, or, or is this like, is this a slam dunk or is this not going to happen? Do you see them passing this? Yeah. I, I don't know the exact status at the moment, but it seems like something that would be, you know, important to, to happen. And I think, 
you know, depending on a lot of times these bills are tied into other things that don't relate at all. So sometimes you look at sort of like what the bill is on its face and you're like, of course that'll pass. And then you realize like, oh, it's tied into this other thing. And that's why I didn't. But it, it would seem to make sense and seem to be, um, you know, necessary right now. And she's saying basically they want you know, the fans, they, us, we want our music back. We want our venues back. Is that something that's just kind of they're going to give them the money and it's going to happen? Or does this vaccine have to kind of be the end all be all? I mean, how could they kind of give them the money and make sure that not only are they staying alive, but staying um, profitable where they can stay alive in the future? Yeah, I think they're trying to like think about think ahead and get them to the point where you can host events that the venues will still be there because if it's another six or nine months um, and, you know, they have rent to pay and they're retaining some of their core employees, you know, it, it might be too much to to sustain all of that. So I noticed when people got the stimulus checks the last time you saw a bunch of wrestling promoters quote-unquote guys you never heard of before kind of popping up and doing virtual signings and doing autograph things and even you know you saw a few shows run and then kind of never run again it was one of those weird things you think that's what might happen here where you know people get the the stimulus they do something and then the venue and it's and it's never heard from again because it seems like that happened last time we got a stimulus because a lot of these autograph guys kind of went away and a lot of these like um uh, private signings or, or, or virtual signings, they kind of went away too. And really only the mainstays from the convention scenes uh, really stuck around. Yeah, that's a great point. Sometimes with, with the stimulus money, people figure out ways to get it and then disappear. Like, mm -hmm. and, you know, or they'll sort of like follow the letter of, of the agreement. But then like, I think it was a big airline company or a big corporation where the stimulus money said you have to employ people till this date and they employed them till that date and then they let let people go the day after so unfortunately things can be very harsh that way so they have to be structured well in order for it to actually benefit people except for the person that's grabbing the money so moving on to brand positioning 2021 post-covid we teased this last episode who is in the best position right now? Let's start with WWE. It just seems like they're more profitable than ever. Well, it doesn't seem like it. They are. They're more profitable than ever. They're kind of set up to kind of do it all over again in 2021. Are they still in kind of prime position with the Saudi Arabia money kind of being off the table for a little bit? Does that hurt? Uh, do they need to do this tour? What are your kind of thoughts on the brand positioning of the WWE in 2021? Yeah, I think that they want to get back to Saudi Arabia as quickly as, as they can or safely possible. Hopefully those two things uh, meet each other well, um, you know, taking care of everybody because that's such a profitable enterprise. I think they'll still hit some bumpiness with WrestleMania. Um, it'd be very hard to imagine it uh, happening in California, especially with California canceling some some major things and putting holds on things. I mean, it is months away, but now with the vaccine rollout, it seems like um, early to mid-summer is, is when things will um, really get moving. I could see them sort of finding somewhere to run the venue. Some some people have said that where they are now in, in the Tampa um stadium that that might be somewhere especially with florida um being 
you know, more liberal on, on hosting events. Um, it seems like for the worse, <laughs> for the most part, unfortunately. Um, but one thing that I really think about is that it's been a really long time since fans have seen a, a big scale wrestling event in the U.S. where you have, you know, big time promotion, people excited to be there. And once that is possible and the WWE gets there, if not just for the biggest events, but for Raw and SmackDown to some degree, I think that would bring some curiosity, interest from casual viewers just to see like, what are things going to look like when people are back and sort of how can they capitalize on that? We're getting used to there not being too many fans or fans behind screens, but like, um, you know, for a big event, 10, 15,000 people um, excited to be there. That's a lot you could play off of. And it's been a long time since we've seen that. So WB still will have the TV money. Hopefully the ratings are okay. SmackDown last week did 3.3 million, which is just tremendous for them. And that's great. Football helped uh, that overrun helped for sure. And obviously uh, the cage match with Reigns kept a lot of the audience and, and they slowly lost, but still great number for them. Do you think that the TV deals the way they are, that'll just kind of hold them steady or do they need more network subscribers? Will they need to have WrestleMania and, and Royal Rumble in front of big crowds to try to make some money? Do you think maybe there's another option? Like how do they kind of keep it rolling or is TV rights and the network going to be the, uh, you know, what kind of drives them? Yeah, I think that they'd be good. Certainly very profitable without those other um, aspects, but you know, in terms of Wall Street, they're always looking for increase. You know, not only maintaining profitability but increasing profitability. Um, so, you know, without those, that that would certainly hurt them. But they've been cutting costs even while they are very profitable. So, if they need to do that, and you know, there's always different revenue streams that they'd look towards. Um, you know, although it'll start out something small, they'll have their uh, gaming channel or gaming show and some of the other talents are getting out there onto gaming shows that are independent of wwe so that seems to be sort of a, an ancillary platform to look towards and there was that um you know before we we had the tragic news the news of the day on saturday was both AEW and wwe uh, announcing um you know gaming type shows like within minutes of each other some websites had aw listed first some websites had wwe so it's cute. like i was just imagining somebody um relaxing with their family on on christmas weekend from the wwe and getting a frantic call oh my gosh aw is announcing a gaming show like quick write something up we have to get something on the network like within two days of when they're going to be on that definitely it seems like them for sure. Like I just even remember when uh, Tom McGee was found and that tape was found. Boy, I think um, uh, Conrad had announced it. Uh, Conrad Thompson had announced it for his convention. Somebody's going to bring in Tom McGee. He's going to do that within, I'd say, a day. Um, <laughs> uh, Mary, who had had the tape, who was Bret Hart's assistant's assistant at one point, she had the tape, and they somehow they got the lost tape from her. I'm sure monetarily uh, were able to get Tom McGee in for an interview, got bred in. I mean, it was one of those things like they react quickly. If somebody can beat them to the punch, they're going to make sure it's as small a margin or they're going to try to beat them to the punch as quick as possible. That's just the WWE way for sure. Yeah, that would be uh, really fascinating to find out what happened exactly. With kind of 
the gaming stuff is that just a profitable way yeah twitch and things like that is that going to be like kind of something that's spearheaded being a big profitable uh, part of their business you know i like the the way aw is doing it as opposed to wwe for aw i think it'll be on youtube for wwe it'll be on their network so I see it more as something like you hear about it from some fans today that the first time they discovered wrestling was through a video game. You know, they played Royal Rumble or Super WrestleMania or whatever it was, and they learned that there's these wrestlers or characters that are very entertaining, and then they started watching the show. So, you know, when you're always looking for new fans, you know, and gaming is so popular that to put yourself out there on a platform that doesn't have a a pay window and, and um, you know, can engage people and then bring them into the product, I think is a better long-term play than just, you know, putting a show on the network of people that would have to be super fans already in order to be subscribing. It doesn't mean you can't have variations of both, but, you know, the way initially both companies are starting it, I think AEW's idea works a lot better. With AEW and their brand positioning for 2021, kind of, you know, what can they do? I mean, they have this gaming thing that we're talking about now. They have YouTube and much smaller than WB for sure, as we talked about in a previous episode. They have Dynamite, but obviously with the money for that show, it isn't crazy. They've got the wrestling figures, but it almost seems like they purposely didn't make a lot of them and they became more in demand and worth more money to the collectors. But if they perhaps made more, they'd be able to make more money to the masses. What's kind of their brand positioning for 2021? Obviously, they're the clear number two, but where do you see them? going forward so i think also they'll benefit from bigger crowds and excitement that sort of like sort of tampered things down when, when they had to of course um but they had been doing really well um relatively in terms of live events and they still have about seven or eight on the books where they have had of course to keep bumping the dates but for example the show in newark you know, it, it seemed like it was more than 10,000 tickets sold. So once they could finally hold that, um, you know, that'll be really exciting for people to see. So just by having a better um, product on television with the excitement of fans and people really seem happy to be at AEW shows, that will sort of improve things. They'll have their... Um, I don't know if they consider it a secondary show, but a second show at some point on TNT. Um, one thing for growth financially for them seems to be international markets. They're in a few big ones, but a lot of the world, it says go to the fight app. And I think eventually they can make inroads and uh, do better with that so that it's a bigger part of their revenue stream. With AEW, and we talked about adding a second show. Is that kind of predicated on them getting better ratings? Will they add a second show or, or is that on a hold because of the pandemic? I think it's um, it's gar it's guaranteed or it's promised as much as can be. Um, and that was just a hold because of the uh, of the conditions. But that will be there eventually. What about impact? Where do you, where do you see them? So, you know, that's a, a difficult question. I think they've kind of had for a while settled into where they are, kind of getting on um, getting on their current station. 
um, you know, has, has helped in terms of sort of a level rating, although of course it, it bounces up and down, but I think sort of, I don't think they have the type of product where they would do well on the road for a while. They were supplementing their income with um, specials on Twitch, partnering with local uh, promoters. So that was a small revenue stream. I don't know if that will make sense going forward, if the opportunity is still there for a fee from Twitch to make that money. Um, but rather it, outside of investing in, in bigger names and, and growing something themselves, it seems like they're stable, like we talked about with their ownership and things will like chug along. With ROH, what do you see Ring of Honor? So something recently came out, Wrestling Inc. had an interview with Gary Juster, or Juster, um, I'm not sure which way to pronounce it at the moment, but he had mentioned that they were actually planning a weekly live show before the pandemic hit, and it was going to be debuting in July. People had a lot of questions about that. How would you do that? Because, um, you know, a lot of their exposure are on platforms where you can't always go live, right? Like if there's the news running, if there's sports. So it could have been like, um, you know, live on stadium, which is in 19 million homes, and then sort of like try to get it on the other stations as, as best you can. So that would have been a challenge to deliver that. But I'd be very curious um, to see them come back to that. Um, you know, with companies like Impact and Ring of Honor, um, you know, there's never a time for a pandemic, but just in terms of where their brands were, they were very low and having a break from that seemed to help them both. I mean, they both experienced further brand diminishment um, earlier on during the pandemic. They're both um, caught up in it, scandals as it related to um, their wrestlers' improprieties and um, potential sexual misconduct, which had been out there. And uh, Impact took some strong actions in removing some of their wrestlers, apparently, and, and so did Ring of Honor in terms of their the, the most high-profile person. Um, so, you know, they had a chance to, like, refresh themselves a little bit. Um, with Impact, they smartly connected with AEW. It's interesting to see where this goes. Um, usually the smaller company in these situations benefits for a while, but ultimately, you know, there's not a great ending to that. Sort of like it helps you, but the bigger company either swallows you or sort of like, sort of like shines a lot brighter. So that's something to watch. With Ring of Honor, I think doing the um, UWFI tournaments, type tournaments was a, a smart idea. It's sort of like, repositioned their brand a little bit and, and gave them um, a variation of things. They also seem to be focusing again on like their relationship with CMLL or at least accessing wrestlers from Mexico. So that'll be something to watch. I think, you know, the further they get away from their time with the elite and certainly their peak years, they could be judged on their own. It's just very hard with both of those companies when you, either had a lot of success before or had a lot of appeal or attention to like everyone's judging you to get back to that. Whereas just looking at things where they are today. How about MLW? What do you think about major league wrestling? Yeah. So 
I think um, I think they've done really well, like with the recent tapings, especially like it was the only taping where I didn't feel like that didn't have fans, where it didn't feel like they were missing. Just kind of the style of the way they were doing it in the club. So if they can get back to those clubs that looked packed on television or um, a little bit of a bigger venue in Dallas with the Von Eriks, they'll continue to build buzz and grow. Um, you know, they're expanding certainly their digital platforms. Unfortunately, it looks like BN Sports continues to contract, you know, in terms of their subscribers, but they, you know, apparently get a, a revenue fee from that. So that's helpful for, you know, continuing along. But they seem to be sort of like the, the mid-sized company that impact, uh, not impact, that um, AEW kind of looks to for talent and, you know, a talent from M MLW says, you know, I'm no longer there or I don't want to be there. And then they kind of get to AEW like halftime with, MLW sort of like blessing apparently and then sort of like they transition over so it's sort of like it's a hard role to be in but I think they do a great job in terms of presenting what they have and who they have what about the NWA Billy Corgan are they still going strong are they even still a thing what's going on with the NWA Right. So unfortunately, I've been the most negative about them on the podcast so far. Not that I, I don't like them and I did like the power show, but it's it's hard to tell where they are. The first clue to look for is sort of like um, what will be their next tapings when, especially when you could bring fans in and what will that look like? Will will be going back to the studio? Is that their complete brand? Will they be having talent sort of tour around um, like where are they and, and where are they going? That That's a question to be answered, but sort of their space in the North American wrestling industry is sort of like, um, is nearly gone or, you know, it's very um, low profile, except, you know, they do well on YouTube, depending on, on what they're putting out there. What about New Japan Pro Wrestling and more specifically New Japan USA? Right, so there was going to be sort of like it was a little bit muddied in terms of their brands and the way that they were doing things. So they had one tour where it was sort of like U.S. talents and there was, you know, issues with visas at that time. And they ran some venues, but they sold less tickets than you would expect. And it just didn't seem to go well for them. I mean, I definitely understood why they were inspired to do more tours of the U.S. Like when you looked at their connection with Ring of Honor, the Ring of Honor shows that would do the best by far were these New Japan co-branded shows. So for New Japan, I would imagine, okay, let's go out and do it ourselves. But they sort of, they did it so low profile that it was actually hurting them. Um, there was a show on the books for Madison Square Garden trying to sort of recreate what they did that WrestleMania weekend with Ring of Honor, but now themselves, I think there's definitely interest in that. Um, and probably like one or two major shows like that would do well initially, but to see how well that could sustain. Probably the way I would do it would be just to do some major shows um, every year, as opposed to trying to become like a regular touring promotion, because that takes away some of the uniqueness of things. Absolutely, yes. And what about the super indies, like uh, like we talked about before, GCW and Beyond Wrestling? Right. I, you know, GCW isn't 
my thing necessarily, like in terms of I've, I've heard, you know, certain aspects are amazing and I trust the people that are you know, big fans of them, but the, some of the hardcore aspects, I'm, I'm not into that. Um, but Brett Lauderdale, who follows me on Twitter, um, uh, you know, it seems like he's doing a lot to keep his head above water and, and like address the challenges um, while still building great buzz. It, it definitely seems like the most buzzworthy promotion, like, um, you know, thinking back to, um, you know, the battle of Los Angeles years ago and, you know, that promotion, like you don't really hear much about what, what they're doing now and not so much with beyond. So GCW has that still, but it seems like, um, the venue in uh, Florida, they haven't released their money from WrestleMania weekend. And now there's these issues with um, IWTV and it sounded like it worked well with the PR, but with YouTube that they were running a show where they'd be giving all the money to talents. And, you know, it seems like there's a lot of challenges there, which, which makes sense, but like, can they then start running again? Like, you know, so sort of like out of the gate, like really strongly after the pandemic is over, once you're a small company or maybe even one person, when you have to face all of these different strains. So there's so much kind of going on in the wrestling landscape for 2021 and wrestling. Looks like WB and AEW are still well positioned to make some money. And I think that a lot of these smaller promotions kind of sink or swim, I think, really kind of going forward. But we shall see for sure. Now let's get into some of the plugs. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at 2 Man Power Trip. Go to my website, tmptempire.com. Lavi, what about you? Sure. So follow me on Twitter, Lavi Mark, L-A-V-I-E-M-A-R-G. Read some of my long-form articles, lioncubjobsearch.com. I just updated my 2021 TV guide for pro wrestling. So um, I have 31 promotions on there. So that's exciting. I think there's been some disruption. So if you see any mistakes or a promotion is no longer airing, um, you know, let me know nicely. <laughs> and on Amazon, um, you can check out my book, uh, Trump Mania uh, 2020 Election Special Edition. And if you're listening to this on the day that it drops, Happy New Year. Nice. Well said. I uh, actually forgot about uh, the new year. I'm just so focused on uh, thinking about 2021. I didn't really think, oh, yeah, that's right. Happy New Year, everybody. Wanted to kind of just uh, say that. What do you got on tap for us next week, Lavi? Um, you know what I want to do, depending on how much news that we have, I'd like to take a deep dive into Ring of Honor, understanding its place in the Sinclair broadcasting universe, why it seemingly does what it does, and how it's positioned among the pro wrestling landscape. And I was pleasantly surprised at how much news and um, data I was we were able to source this week. So I'm sure next week will be uh, full of surprises as well. All right. Great stuff, Lavi. I'd like to thank everybody for joining us this week and every week right here on the Business of the Business podcast. Happy New Year, everybody. See you next week, folks. <laughs>